one time I said, I trust you, ugly Rick. And he said, don't. And still our romance continued. Hi, and welcome to Superthink. Uh, this is our uh, podcast um, where we share stories of gratitude from our live uh, storytelling events. Uh, my name is Biaga Kronpo, and with me today in the studio I have Eric Klein. Hello. And Gina Rubio. Hi. And Tim Marcroft. Hello. They are all uh, my Superthink friends and volunteers, and um, we are going to share a story today by Stacia... Stacy Halal. Stacy Halal. Stacy Halal told a story of gratitude at one of our recent live storytelling events. Stacy is the founder and artistic director, I'm pulling that out of my head, of Curious Comedy Theater in Portland, Oregon. And she's also um, uh, wholly responsible for the All Jane Comedy Festival. That's probably not the official title, wholly responsible, but she makes it happen here in Portland, and it's a very special event. Uh, cultural event that takes place once a year in portland it's for lady comics yeah uh women so stacy shared a story of gratitude and this is one of those um this is one this one's gonna be fun i'm really looking forward to talking about it with you on the flip side after we listen to it because generally speaking at super thank our stories of gratitude um are directed at people who have given a concrete gift of uh, a benefit, something something worth thanking another a fellow human being for. And this is like uh, the Nobel Peace Prize to Obama for wanting to do good. <laughs> I think that that's uh, not going to be a very apt comparison once you hear the story. Okay. Let's listen to Stacy's story. I'm going to tell you guys the story tonight of the time I dated a sociopath. Um, Maybe there was more than one. I suspect there was more than one. Uh, But there's one I know for sure. And it was a few years back. And uh, uh, we met in strange circumstances. I was flying to Atlanta every few months for work. And we met there. And... I was in an interesting place. I was single for the first time after 19 years of serial monogamy. Uh, And so I'd been in three long relationships and I was just turned 40. And, you know, I I had never really been single as an adult. So I was ready to make all those mistakes that I didn't make in my 20s as I ventured into my 40s, which is an exciting time. I recommend it for all of you. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, as, as I, I, I met him and uh, we, we had this attraction and, and on the next trip he, he asked me on a date and we went out and we had one of those 12 hour dates where each event led to another event and another event and he had, he had planned it all out. We went for cake, huge slices of cake and then great dinner and we went to a revolving hotel that overlooks the city and explained the city to me and we shared stories back and forth which I interpreted to be you know that phase of early romance where you're you're sharing all of your life together uh, to each other and he however I think now looking back what he was doing was gathering the information that he needed to create a hologram of the man I wanted (laughs) which he did very, very well. 
Um, and we'll call him Ugly Rick. Because he was ugly inside and out. Uh, but I was, you know, too, too blind at the time to see either of those. Um, so, so while he was doing this, he was also sharing some stories from his life. And he had just recently returned from a trip to the jungle of Peru, where he had gone on an ayahuasca retreat. And he had partaken in this whole week-long ritual with a shaman. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, ayahuasca is a traditional hallucinogen. You drink it. It makes you very ill uh, for many days as you wash out first all of your distractions. Uh, and then the spirit of ayahuasca, she enters from the root into the water and you drink it and she's inside of you and she reflects to you what you need to know to become your fully realized self. And so he explained this journey to me that he had been on and how he had become newly in touch with the idea of compassion. And maybe a first red flag was that he called himself a dick in recovery. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he had had this moment as he was sitting around have, experiencing his hallucinations where the sky had, had opened up and light had shone on him and it had entered in the top of his head and filled his whole body with warmth. And for the first time in his life, he felt love for himself that he had never felt in his entire life. And when he told me that story, I was very jealous because I had never felt that. And I wanted that feeling. And I, I was so curious. And I think that was the story that connected me to him because it sounded so amazing to me. And I, I really wanted that. Uh, so then because he had so recently returned from his trip, for those of you who know, uh, if you partake in the ritual as it's supposed to be, you're supposed to cleanse yourself for 30 days before, and then you have to cleanse yourself after. So he had had to stop smoking weed, stop playing video games, stop drinking, doing all of this stuff. And part of it is you can't, uh, you can't masturbate, you can't have sex, you can't exchange fluids with anybody, very specifically. <laughs> so we kissed, but we couldn't even French kiss. So the last night, the end of the date, we just did like stage kissing in his truck for like an hour before we finally broke away. And I flew back in terrible sexual tension back to Portland to be apart. And we, we then spent weeks sending messages and just full of all of that tension. And on the next trip, I went back uh, I stayed with him in his home. And the first, second, I guess, uh, but the first of this trip, red flag, was when I saw his home, I learned that he's a terrible hoarder. And his home was full of shit. From wall to wall, everywhere. There were letters from ex-girlfriends from 15 years ago, just out on the top in the dining room table. There were stacks of self-help books, the four agreements, laying there, unread. <laughs> there was the golf clubs of his dead father uh, that he had never, ever used. It was full of stuff because he'd inherited the house from his father, so it was full of his father's stuff, too, which he had issues with. And he only had 
two little tiny places to sit in, in the whole house. And I remember looking at him being like, your house is like your heart. It is so full of baggage. Some that isn't even yours, but it's now become yours. That There's barely room for you here. And there certainly isn't room for anybody else. We had that conversation, and yet our romance continued for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. So... You know, I think I was chemically altered by the fuck fest that we were having that entire week, you know, which was our sexual tension unleashed, and we just had a sex marathon, so it was obscuring my judgment on a whole other level. Uh, So uh, I remember talking to a friend of mine and saying to him that that this situation, because because Ugly Rick... uh, was in this cleansing phase, it reminded me when my friends had adopted this dog. And they went and they they looked at all the puppies and they looked at all the dogs and they picked the calmest dog in the litter. Uh, And it was just, she was so gentle, she was so sweet, she was so calm. And they picked her and they loved her and they, they brought her home and they set her up and within two hours of being home, she threw up a walnut and then turned out to be the most hyper dog anybody had ever seen in their lives. And she was calm because she was so sick from having swallowed a whole walnut. And I remember thinking, you know, I hope he doesn't throw up a walnut when he starts, like, smoking weed and getting back to his old habits and and distance starts to separate him from his ayahuasca moment of enlightenment. So after we had our, our physical indulgent visit, I came back to Portland. Uh, but certain things he had said on that trip started ringing through my mind. Like more than once he had said to me, when it rains, it pours. And one time I said, I trust you, ugly Rick. And he said, don't. <laughs> and still our romance continued. I don't know why. So then as our time started to pass, I still had another trip scheduled. But in this gap now, like, calls started coming less frequently or reliably. And the communication started to get more sparse. And I didn't expect a commitment. It was long distance. I wasn't interested. But when I asked him about things, you know, he he said everything was the same and that nothing was going on. And he denied anything was happening But shortly before I actually left to go to Atlanta, we got in a huge fight uh, because I was, I was trusting my intuition. And if, I don't know if you get this, but I know when I don't trust my intuition, when, when my intuition's telling me one thing and a person is telling me a different thing, if I choose to listen to that person, I start to get physically ill. I was getting like physically ill during this time and I, and, I, and I kept asking him like just tell I, you know all I need is the truth I don't care what's going on I just, I just need to know what is going on and, I, and then I'll make my choices from there he kept denying things denying things and we had this big fight and I said it's just too weird I'm not going to stay with you got to Atlanta and I got taken in by some friends who were acquaintances at the time at which time everything came out that he had been lying to me this entire time 
like the previous visit, I had sat with him at a table in a room full of people next to a woman that everyone knew he was also sleeping with. Everyone in the room knew except me. And, you know, he was doing that thing that sociopaths do where every time I questioned him, he would turn it around on me like I was the crazy one, I was the crazy one, I was the crazy one. Uh, so I got taken in by these friends and they were just so wonderful and I was you know, having the trite crying spells that <laughs> come. I'm like, I'm not going to get over it but I have to go through these crying spells in this house of these acquaintances I barely knew. And they were so kind and they let me weep in their house for days. <laughs> and they introduced me to these uh, other, I was there to do comedy, I was doing improv. They introduced me to these Norwegian improvisers who were in town who were so wonderful. They were also totally compassionate. And uh, I got these opportunities to perform that I wouldn't have had if I was out in the suburbs in the hoarder house. <laughs> and I realized, like, I, the whole time I was like, I, I have these wonderful people in my life. And he's stuck in his life. Right? He has to still live in the house and still live with himself. But I'm here surrounded by the kindness of these people who are so amazing and they're giving me their home and they're giving me these opportunities and they're introducing me to these people. And I learned a couple of things. Uh, I called my friend who I told the story about the dog and I told him what had happened and he was like, well, I guess he threw up a walnut. And... Uh, and I realized, you know, that guys, when they're, anyone that you care for, that you care about, when they reject you, you can think about it as a rejection of you, or you can think about it as a self-elimination process. Like, they're doing you a favor, removing themselves from your lives, because they're not right for it. And I learned at that point from that relationship, I will never question my intuition ever again because it is always right it is always right and I also learned from ugly Rick what I really wanted in a relationship because even though he wasn't really it his sociopathic superpowers allowed him to reach into my mind and create the image of what I wanted so even though he wasn't really it he drew the picture for me so I was like oh this is this is actually what I really want so I knew and that was a great gift and then the last thing I got from him was I was thinking one day and I was thinking about all these wonderful people that I have in my life who were so kind and so generous and I was like why do I deserve this you know why did I get to have these incredible people in my life and I was like there must be something about me that they like. And I realized that during that time, I had started to get infected by Ugly Rick's anger and, and his evilness. And it was getting in me. And I, and I refused to let it infect me. And I refused to let it win over joy and kindness and compassion. And that's what I realized my true friends really love about me. And in that moment, it wasn't like the sky opened and light came inside me and filled me with warmth under a ayahuasca hallucination. It was just one quiet moment. And the first time, I really felt like I loved myself. So thanks, Ugly Rick. <laughs> I'm Stacy Lau, thank you very much.
Thank you, Stacy. Thanks for sharing that story. I think she definitely thanked another thanked person. So few people thank themselves. Like everybody has so much self criticism and self doubt and whatever. Then to truly realize that you accept yourself and thank yourself for who you are and thank yourself for your gods that you can listen to and they know what it is. I think they are often underthinked. That's because the super thank, uh, the the gratitude storytelling. Um, one of the things we're emphasizing is trying to make sure that people uh, who are underthanked get thanked. And so in this case, it was herself and her own intuition mm-hmm. yeah i also think it was a story of what happens when you give people the chance to be immensely compassionate and helpful like when she was going to visit and realized she was not going to stay with ugly rick anymore and all these people came to her aid and ended up being so so good to her and yeah and that happened to me one time not the, uh, I was not dating a sociopath, but I was in a relationship and I was flying across the country to see this person. My parents had bought me the flight, which was such a kind gesture. And two days before I departed, we broke up. But I was going to go on that plane anyway. So I went to Portland, which is where I was coming. Mm. Um, and then I immediately got on a train and went north to Seattle where I had a, a pretty loose friend, like a pretty loose acquaintance there who I just said, help. Um, and she sheltered me. We had the best girls weekend. Um, so I think it's really amazing when you give people that chance. Yeah, I see how this is also a story of thanking friends. I know when I lost my uh, high school sweetheart um, early on in college, I uh, I managed to have the best friend I've had in this world, a whole bottle of tequila, and Steve Carell's The 40-Year-Old Virgin to comfort me. And so I want to thank all three of those things. Wow, you just dated yourself. You're so young, Tim. <laughs> uh, yeah, what a wonderful story. So many themes. Uh, it, it, I was just talking with my partner about like how at the moment I have no idea what story of gratitude I would share if a if, uh, million dollars was offered and I had to come up with one tomorrow. And she very easily figured out that, it was, um, that hers was that time that um, someone who was barely even a friend... Uh, you know, uh, uh, someone that we went to college with, but we're still Facebook connected to, opened their home so that she could uh, crash on their couch for a long time. It was like a month or two uh, to transition our lives up to Portland. And that, what what a wonderful thing to ask someone for the biggest possible favor, and then and then to have that connection. It's I like, really uh, love letting strangers into my house or my home. Like you get new connections you get new friends you get new experiences and impressions and like you you know all your friends you know your same like your circle of friends and like the new energy or the novelty of meeting somebody completely or maybe not completely like a far far out acquaintance Mm -hmm. or something like that I just think that's really energizing yeah it also makes me think of this quote we watched um a Dan Pelota TED Talk the other day. It's a very good one. It's about uh, how we view charity in this country. And he said something in there that stuck with me, which is people are weary of being asked to do the smallest possible thing. They want to be asked to help in a great big way. 
Um, and he, he set up these AIDS, AIDS walks and a breast cancer walk. And it was like a three-day, very, very long walk. Like not a 5K or anything, but like a really big, they would sleep in tents and all that. Um, because he wanted to give people the chance to help in a, in a massive way. Ah, we should post that to the Facebook. Yes. Which we uh, super thank has a Facebook page that you can like to uh, get updates on when our next live events are or um, other other grateful things. When is our next live event? We're doing it again soon. It's at uh, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on 19th and East Burnside in the basement of the East Burn Bar. On April 12th. On April yeah, 12th. 2016, if you're listening to us in the present tense. Uh, and if you're not, you should... A, check out um, superthank.org or the Superthank Facebook page to find out when our next live event is. Or um, you can delve into so many stories of gratitude by subscribing to the podcast or just going back into the archives and listening. And then let us know what you think on on Facebook if you listen to something that we've probably even already forgotten since since we put in all this work uh, over the last two years and then and then moved forward and very rarely looked back at what we have. I'm going to have to um, make that my homework, my gratitude homework, to re-listen to some of those old old episodes. Well, thanks so much, Stacy, and uh, thank all you guys for listening. Thanks thanks to you guys here in the studio, Tim and Gina and Bjarka. And thanks, um, Jerry. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. And thank you to Poddington Bear for the music. See you on the next episode.